This is Anyone Can Do a Welcome. I'd like to start off with an acknowledgement of country. Bayaju Budri, Darugu, Giyura, Giyura, Nurabarang. Bayaju Budri, Darugu, Warangad, Giyuragu, Barani, Yagu, Baribugu. Bayaju Budri, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, Giyuragu, Nura, Bimugu. I speak well of the Daruk people, the people belonging to country. I speak well of the old ones, past, present, and the future people. I speak well of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and their homelands. Welcome back to episode 8 of Anyone Can Do a Welcome. Naya Giara Anissa, Buruburong Darug Jin, Naya Marangorabarang Darug Nurua. I'm Anissa, Buruburonga woman from the Richmond area on Darug country. Last episode, I talked about our Darug history and finished up with a slight twist on the latest non-Darug Welcome to Country on Darug Nura. And this time, I'm going to start with uh, some more Darug history and look at some of the current events that have basically become the latest non-Darug Welcome to Country on Darug Nura. Come along for the ride, folks. It should be an interesting one. We're going to start uh, up first with, uh, well, we start with the Battle of Parramatta this time, but we really have to start with Bemelway before we even go anywhere near the Battle of Parramatta. Um, so who was Bemelway? He was a Pidgigal Darugmala. He had a blemish on one of his eyes and what would sort of be called a club foot today. Now, for some Darugiyura, it meant exactly that that the foot had been clubbed with a nulla nulla, indicating his status as a Karaji or a clever man. Now, Bemaway first came to the attention of invaders in 1790 when he, along with other Darug warriors, killed John McIntyre, who was Governor Phillips' gamekeeper. And for lack of a better word, a racist. He was speared for breaking law and because of his violence towards Darugiyura, Mala and Jin. Now, once McIntyre was speared and killed, Philip had just lost the plot and he orders 50 soldiers to go out on a raid to capture Bemaway. They failed. He sent them out again. They failed. But because of all of this, Bemaway then got really upset, as you should be, and he led a series of raids from 1792, with the first one taking place at Prospect in May of that year. By April 1794, the violence on both sides had escalated, leading to the Battle of Toon Gabby. This battle eventuated with the head of a slain Darugmala being taken back to Old Sydney Town as evidence. And we were the ones they called barbarians. The battle itself took place, now this is the Battle of Parramatta, took place in March of 1797, less than a decade after invasion. Now this information all comes from either the Battle of Parramatta by Jonathan Lim or the National Museum of Australia website. 
Now, this conflict was led by Bemoe, um, who was our amazing and staunch Darug Mala, who with 100 Darug warriors took on the invaders. So how did this actually start then? The area known as Carlingford and Oatland were given to the invading settlers in the form of land grants. Just as an aside, your girl lived in the Carlingford area as a child in the 80s, so I know this place pretty well. Uh, in 1797, Bemaway led a series of raids on these new farms, taking food and provisions. Now, one has to check, were they actually stealing anything? I mean, it's clear that Darug saw what came from the land as something to be shared, but the invaders didn't. It's hard to be screaming theft, really, when you're living on stolen land in the first place. The farmers decided that they'd had enough after one of the raids caused the death of a male and a female settler. So they formed a militia, as good white fellas do, and they went to track down the raiders. Now, inverted commas are used there, folks. This quote is taken from the National Museum website. Governor King to Lord Hobart, Secretary of the State for the Colonies, the 30th of October, 1802. Decided measures, therefore, became necessary to prevent the outsettlers from being robbed and plundered and to restore the natives to a friendly intercourse. Okay, discussion, relations, as in not the other stuff, like being friends again. With these views founded on the opinions of the principal officers coinciding with mine, so basically they've all sat together and come up with this, I gave orders for every person during doing their utmost to bring Bemaway in either dead or alive. Now, the militia managed to surprise the 100 Dutta warriors just outside of Baramara, around the North Rocks area, who then fled very quickly. Um, obviously, they didn't have Bemaway with them at the time. The militia continued to chase the group towards Baramara, where they later went, oh, we're a bit out of breath, we better have a rest. Go figure. After an hour of resting, and coming from David Collins here, a quote, a large body of natives headed by Bemaway, a riotous and troublesome savage, approached Parramatta. They had marched into Baramara, threatening to spear anyone who tried to stop them. Now, the fact that Bemoy is called a riotous and troublesome savage for defending Darug Nura still blows my mind, but I digress. The soldiers opened fire, and when the group attempted to take Bemoy, or them settlers, Bemoy threw a spear at them. This only prompted the invaders to shoot him, and they, showed him, they shot him several times and wounded him quite badly. Now, Darug warriors responded with throwing many spears, Māori Gamai, but it was obvious that the weapons were inferior to the invaders, with five Darug warriors being killed. Now, Bemaway was then taken to hospital by the troopers, with his death thought to be near, like they thought this fellow was going to die. However, he later recovers and escapes back to his mob still wearing the same leg shackles they had placed on him when he was arrested, inverted commas. He later earned the reputation for being invincible to invader weapons. This is a man who was shot, stabbed, you know, you name it, and they couldn't kill him. 
Well, they thought they couldn't kill him. In May, on sorry, on May 1st, 1801, Governor King issues an order that Darugiyora near Baramata, George's River and Prospect could be shot on site because that's always a good thing. You got stolen land here, folks. By November of the same year, this included an order that outlawed Bemelway and offered a sliding scale of rewards for his death or capture. Here's the here's the sliding scale. To a prisoner for life or 14 years, a conditional emancipation, meaning there's some strings attached to being free. To a person already conditionally emancipated, a free pardon and recommendation for a free passage to England. So if you've already been emancipated on those, you know, those strings, um, we'll get, we'll do one better and give you a free pardon. So it costs you nothing. And then we'll let you go back to England, but we're not going to pay for it. We'll just recommend that you can go. To a settler, the labour of a prisoner for 12 months, because slave labour is not a bad thing in Australia back then, was it? To any other descriptions of persons, 20 gallons of spirits and two suits of slops. Now, slops, I think of pig slops. But anyway, we won't go there. In, in June of nine, 19, June of 1802, Pemelway was killed by the invaders with his head cut off and sent to a British museum, well, to Joseph Banks, who then gave it to the British Museum, where it has been lost. Some say it was blown up in the Battle of Britain in the 1940s, but others believe that it was just lost, in inverted commas. To date, Bemelway has not had a proper burial. Shame on you, British Museum. According to Kevin Vincent Smith from Australia's Oldest Murder Mystery, it is believed that Henry Hacking was the man who actually shot our great warrior. But there is also some evidence that states it was the farmers from either Baramata, Toongabby or Prospect Hill. But they still don't know. And does it really matter who killed him? I want to know who cut his head off, put it in a jar and pickled it. So it goes sat in the muse British Museum where it gets lost. So I'll finish with another quote from the National Museum website. Knowing who fired the fatal shot does not affect Bemelway's place in history. Bemelway was, as Governor King recognised, a brave and independent character. We don't care what King thought. He inspired others, fought hard and died for his land and his people. For that we can all admire him. Let's just... Go back to that one sentence. He inspired others, fought hard and died for his land and his people. And Daru Giyura do still to this day admire you. Buiga Miyang. Okay, so now we're going to have a look at another disrespect of Darug Nora. Recently, it came to my attention that the area known to us as Bondi has now become Darawal country. How, you might ask? Well, buckle up, you're in for a bit of a ride. Let's go back to the beginning. The New South Wales government ran a Word of the Week in 2015 and identified Bondi as Bundi, the noise made by the sea waves. A Darug word. There's a written record of it by the Anthropological Society of Australasia in papers dated 1899 and to 1903, 
1926. The document also contains names such as Kuji or Guji, Guja, Marubra, Muruba, North Botany Bay Head, Manabi, South Botany Bay Head, Givia, or Givia, we'll get there one day, Kernel, Gundu, Beaches and Sand Hills along Port Hacking, Wunamara, and our word for mountain, Bulga. On the late Uncle Richard Green's Dalung Dalung website, Uncle states that Bondi in our Dalung was referred to the crashing of waves on rocks. He lists it under place names and again gives a clear translation of place names from Dalug to English. So we have historical evidence, even of the past 15 years of evidence, not to mention well over 100 years. And if you dig even deeper, I'm sure you'll find records dating back to invasion. But let's not let the truth get in the way of a lie. Now we get to 2023 and the Bondi Festival run by Waverley Council. The First Nations producer who runs it is, you guessed it, a Dharawal person. The following information comes from the National Indigenous Times dated June 30th, 2023. The festival's official name is Maran, our word for sand, and we do see the Janawi dancers in attendance and identified as Darug performers. However, Darug nation is not discussed, just the clans, Bidjigal, Gadigal and Birabidigal. But then this is stated. Local peak organisation for language, culture and research activities within the La Perouse Aboriginal community, Gujaga Foundation and local elders, lowercase e, worked alongside Ms Brown to deliver Marang, incorporating the traditions and knowledge of nations and clans from all across Sydney is at the core of the celebration. Miss Brown later status, states further on in the article that she wanted the event to be inclusive of all Sydney mobs. But the La Palauk and Gajaga Foundation dictating Durable on Darugnura is not inclusive. It's cultural genocide, not to mention the serious conflict of interest between the two organisations, which I'll talk about in a minute. Keep an eye out as it will be interesting to see if they run it again in 2024. But it doesn't stop there. Check the Bondi Pavilion website run by the same Waverley Council. Go from that website, you can locate the Indigenous Heritage page. The acknowledgement is just that, but it only identifies the clans and not the nations, Bidjigal, Gadigal and Birabirgal. When we erase the nation, we erase the truth. Scroll down more and you're given a definition of the word Bondi as a Durawal word with the same spellings as documents predating 2000 and listed as Darug Dalang. They have literally just cut and pasted it and changed the name of the language. These people aren't even trying anymore. Part of the reason why some of our language we needed to have more control over it being published in terms of things like Jackie Troy's book, and it's ridiculous. Now, scroll down some more on the on this website, and you hit with the local Indigenous Advisory Consultancy, aka the Gujaga Foundation 
who created names for the Bondi Pavilion in clear violation of cultural protocols. You do not rename things of another nation. You don't have approval. You don't have any sort of cultural approval to do that. Now, La Perouse was established as a mission in 1885. Please someone tell me how nearly 100 years after the invaders got here that these Guani people from Lapa Lands Council and Gajaga Foundation are having any say whatsoever on Darugnura about this. They don't have any cultural authority. They have Gubbs authority and even that is ridiculous. To quote the site, in keeping with the existing theme, Gajaga helped guide the names in local Darawal language for unnamed spaces in Bondi Pavilion. Last time I looked where Bondi was on a map and where Darawal language starts, there's a whole bloody bay there. So I don't understand how they came up with local Darawal language for Bondi. Keep going further south of Port Hacken. So what was the actual theme then? Guninbara? Seriously, the disrespect has to stop. And yes, this is the same Gajaga Foundation that has ties to both the Lapa Lands Council, the Aboriginal Languages Trust Board and the state AECG. But there's nothing to see here, right? Disgraceful. Okay, so now I'm going to wrap up. I'd like to say Mari Digirigura for joining me about the truth and history of Darugnura. Next time we'll dig deeper into the history and the lung of Darugnura and investigate yet another non-Darug welcome to country on Darugnura. Nabawunya, Yanu. Anyone Can Do a Welcome was written and presented by Anissa Jones. This podcast is an opinion on the history and current interactions on Darug Nora. Digiri Gura, Naragu.